Houston Rallies is a movement created by the Lee Group, a Houston-based advertising agency, to help make a difference for the many other small businesses that are the heartbeat of our city. The Lee Group fully understands the struggles and trials involved with running a small business in one of the most competitive markets in the world. The Houston Rallies podcast, created in partnership with Radio Lounge, is a hub of information and inspiring stories directly from the small business owners that make Houston the great city that we all call home. From interviews with movers and shakers to thought pieces on best practices for advertising your business's specific services, Houston Rallies is your destination for advertising insight and inspirational ideas. Hi, this is Kansas Sarton from Packmule, and you're listening to Houston Rallies. Hey, this is Mark Pereira with the Lee Group. Thanks for joining us on the Houston Rallies podcast today. Today on the podcast, we are very excited to have Kansas Sarton, the founder, president, head adventurer of Pack Mule Cargo Carriers. Kansas, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Excited to be here. Yeah. Um, so you and I have known each other for a bit. Um, and so I know a little bit about your story, but for our listeners, before we talk about Pack Mule, let's talk about what you did in that other life. So how, you know, what was your, what was your career? What did you go to school for? How did you walk me through the process up to before Pack Mule started? Well, um, like most people, I went to school for something that I never practiced uh, professionally anyways, right? I started off studying wildlife biology because all I wanted to do was be outside and, um, and I was interested in all the things that were uh, roaming, you know, and I figured, hey, if I can work outside, I'm going to be pretty excited about it. And so, um, but always having been um, uh, handy, you know, I, I had a Chilton's manual and a 1981 Ford Bronco. So I became mechanically inclined uh, by default and, um, and then just always, you know, painting or doing something with my hands and, and come from a family that's talented like that. And so, um, through my uh, studies, wildlife biology kind of morphed into an environmental resource management degree with a biology minor. And then um, and then when I was applying for jobs, everybody said, you know, they don't come along very often. So find something to take up your time until some spots open up. And I said, well, this is great. I just did five years of college and uh, I, <laughs> I can't get a job. So I, I went back to my hands and uh, and I started doing some home renovation and I did that for a couple of years and then uh, went to work for a house builder and, uh, and built houses for, I guess, um, five years, something like that. And then I was in the commercial construction world uh, for another six years or so. And then um, uh, building office buildings and other things. And then... Um, from there, uh, was hired on by a company and uh, and grew an interior subcontracting um, firm um, where we were building out. We were a subcontractor building out interior office space and um, so aluminum extrusions and glass walls and some technology stuff. And uh, and and during this this time, still uh, super interested in being outside and wanting to. Um, uh, you know, be in nature and hunt and fish and go camping and do all the things and be on rivers that I just love to be a part of. And so we, um, you know, I was always in the field and I had a dog and, and that is kind of maybe segueing here a little bit, but that's kind of where pack mule, uh, came to be. I had, um, I took a welding class in college as an elective because again, working with my hands and trying to figure out stuff, it was interesting to me to know, how well, how metal melts together. And I'd always been interested in that. And so, um, 
So in practicing, I built a big, heavy steel one, you know, and you're 21 and you got a, a bunch of testosterone and muscles. So pounds <laughs> of steel doesn't really make a difference. You're, you know, you can just show everybody how strong you are. And then, uh, you know, fast forward 10 years and I've got a couple kids and I'm trying to lift this thing up. My back's not what it used to be. And I'm not quite as tapping <laughs> the young man that I once was. And I would throw my back out all the time and um, I dropped it on my foot. My daughter cut her head on the on the bungee cord that was strapped to it at one point, her forehead. And uh, there was this culmination point of her cutting her forehead and me removing it afterwards that um, and I dropped it on my foot. And it was that like, that's enough. There has got to yeah. be. A, this is totally ridiculous. And it was leaning up against the fence and paint was rusting on it and, you know, chipped off and the steel was rusting. And um, and so. Uh, about two weeks later, I was on my boat chasing redfish and I'm holding on to the windshield grab rail you know, kind of sunset back to the harbor and drinking a ice cold beer, like life is good in that moment, you know, and yeah. it's that time where your mind is kind of free. And on these coastal boats, everything's aluminum and it's pipe and it's got rounded corners. And I said, man, that's it. You know, that we make all this stuff for boats out of aluminum. Surely there's a hitch carrier that's got rounded edges and pipe and right. it's, it looks great and whatever. And so I did a big extensive search and I couldn't find anything. And so, um, so I just, honestly, the first one, I just laid it out on cardboard and was like, all right, how can I, how can I make this, uh, do exactly what I want to do? And, and the, and the big idea was raise the lift gate and be able to get my dog in and out of his kennel in the back of my SUV without taking all the coolers and everything off the back. And so, um, uh, so I had a shop help, help me build that because I'm just, I'm not a, I hadn't studied aluminum welding enough to really make it work and mm -hmm. uh, laid out the design and exactly how I wanted it. And you know, all the dimensions that I'd figured. And, um, and so then the first hunting trip I took it on with some clients who I was actually entertaining for, for work. And uh, you know, it's that sort of yard sale moment where um, you've, you've shoved everything in the back of your truck or your SUV and you've got your dog and your guns and shells and your clothes and, you know, your ice chest is underneath there somewhere. And so everybody gets to the field and they're trying to find that bag of shells or their chair or whatever it is, you know, and I, I show up and I hit the button on my lift gate and it opens up and I open the kennel my dog jumps out and I open the cooler and I don't have to unstrap anything. And I grab a cold beer and I, you know, take a swig, set it on top of the cooler on the pack mule, reach over, grab some shells, throw them in my bird bag slide my gun out of the scabbard that's next to the dog kennel inside the SUV. And everybody's looking at me kind of jaw drop, like, how did you do that? That was amazing. <laughs> and so, so really the focus was how do I make this thing that, um, that makes it easy to manage all of your gear, you know, because typically if you got a dog and then you got a cooler that fills up your space and then you've sure. got everything piled on top of the cooler. And so then you're trying to raise the lid of the cooler and shove your hand into the cooler and it just didn't work. And so, by the design, it made the most sense in that time for me just to put the coolers outside. And then they became like a workstation and a tailgate and this platform to interact with. And um, and so people said, man, uh, those guys, like two of them, I got to have that. Where'd you, where'd you get it? I said, well, I built it. And they said, hey, listen, like, I want one of those. And I, yeah, 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 whatever. You know how much it cost me to have this thing fabricated? Like you would vomit. <laughs> you'd vomit. But for me, it was all about like, Life's too short to 
to wrestle with stuff and to, and to mess with it. I want things to be intuitive and to just work great because I'm not in the field to wrestle gear. And I'm not on a camping trip or on a road trip to wrestle gear. I'm there for an experience and enjoy the people that I'm with. And if the gear, if my gear can support me in that way, I don't care what it costs. Like, sure, I want to be the best. And then I don't have to ever think about it. There's nothing in the back of my head like, ah, I wish that was better. And so right. that was kind of the start of the design. And, um, and then it was, you know, road trips to Montana and whatever, and people stopping us on the road for for every rest stop and camp spot and whatever saying, where'd you get that? I got to have it. And that was kind of a light bulb. Like we, we got something here. We need to, we need to do something more. That's awesome. And I, and I, I love that, you know, you just did it for yourself and then you did it well and then people started to notice it. And it sounds like if you were to try to plan showing this product off to people where you show it in use and do all that kind of, there's no way you could have had it go as perfectly as, Right. Just an actual trip where you're actually using it for your gear and people seeing it and all of that. So, so that I think that's that's awesome. Thank you. Um, so, um, so then, but you're still you're still working your regular job, and you're exactly. making these these carriers. Right. So, um, so I'm I'm um, in construction at the time. You know, I called some manufacturers to see how I could get these made and what I could do, and just sort of pitter pattered with it. And then, um, and then I started doing research and realized, look, nobody, nobody has, uh, if Mark calls me and says, Hey, can I borrow your thing that goes in a hitch that you carry stuff with? That's kind of the common mm -hmm. reference point, right? Nobody knows what, really what to call it. And then if Mark said, Hey, I want to get one of those things you put in your hitch that you carry stuff, what's the best one? Everybody's like, I don't know one brand. I couldn't tell you anything. And so sure. I realized, Hey, there's a really strong market opportunity here to introduce you know, an adventure lifestyle brand, something that people can believe in, a name that resonates with what the product does and um, and then build it great, right? We're not like this huge manufacturing shop that does other things and says, hey, engineers, go build something and make sure that we can sell it for 150 or $200. It's like, no, we developed it to totally make sense. And then we backed into how can we, how can we manufacture it in a way that it's still a stretch by its price point, but, um, but, something that's palatable, right? right? Kind of a, kind of a buy once cry once. And so, um, so, so just slowly like reaching out to engineers to, to put the drawings together and then finding the right manufacturer that could partner with us to, to produce these was kind of the process. And so that was sort of slow going while also doing another job. And then, um, and then when it really kicked off and there was a lot of excitement about it, you know, I'd, I'd work all week in my job and then I'd, you know, road trip somewhere for a trade show. And I'd work all weekend doing a trade show and then be back home at one o'clock in the morning on Sunday and then back at work at, you know, seven 30 or eight on Monday morning. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I did that for two and a half years and it was just constant, you know, it was crazy. And, um, and while I kind of have a personality where I can, I can carry a lot of that stuff, it was, you know, just very transparently, it was very hard on my family and, um, hard sure. on my marriage and, um, and with my kids, you know, they didn't see me at all. I was just constantly gone and, and fully distracted. It was really hard for me to be home and to mm -hmm. focus on them without thinking about all the other things that need to be happening. And so, um, so in the fall, in September of 2019, um, I decided, Hey, this is the right time. You know, we're, we're getting more and more excitement in the market about our product. It's time to develop new products. It's time to, 
pack mule deserves 110% of my time. And while I was giving it 10% of my time, my family also deserved my time when I was home. And it was just not sustainable. And it was never going to happen to grow it and do what it needed to do while also maintaining a day job. So yeah, uh, it made the leap, you know, and, uh, and then you're, you know, on the, basically on the road for several months trying to call on new dealers and get that excited. And then Corona happened and, you know, right. <laughs> you can go anywhere. And so they don't need to haul anything to nowhere. Uh, right. The rebound's been good. Yeah. So, so talk about that a little bit. How did, how did coronavirus affect you? I mean, it shut us down. You know, I mean, yeah. we, I mean, we still have, we were still manufacturing and we were still shipping, but I mean, we, it was like a fraction, right? I mean, it was, yeah. you know, a few orders a week and you're just like, what do, what do we do? Right. And we even personally, and you know, this is a thing that uh, I don't know that a lot of brands have talked about, but personally, we didn't want to be stuck at our house in Houston and not go, we wanted to go to parks. Right. So we had planned right. to go to Big Ben and then they shut down Big Ben the day before the morning that we were supposed to leave. And then we were going to go, um, uh, North Big Ben to um, uh, Guadalupe Mountains. Uh, so not Guadalupe Mountains. Where were we going to go? Any event somewhere somewhere north. I can't remember which park it was. And um, same deal. Uh, like the day that we were, the, the day after we were going to get there, they called and said, "Hey, we're closing the park tomorrow. So y'all y'all could come tonight, but then you got to leave tomorrow." I'm like, "Well, I'm not driving nine hours for that." But right. you know, I I saw across the, the the globe, people were wanting to be out, but also feeling responsible thing is to stay. But, you know, that rejuvenation that happens within your, in your person and in your spirit and in your soul happens oh, yeah. at course, right? Like that's right. where you do your best thinking. It's where you can exhale. And so, um, you know, now you're in your house and your kids are all there and we have four kids. And so the, the three are trying to do schoolwork in our house. And the, and the four-year-old is excited that, that everybody's there to play with her and, and <laughs> right. keep attention, you know, and then you're trying to manage a business through Corona and teachers are like, Hey, your kids need to be doing their schoolwork. And it was just total chaos. And you're like, where sure. are the sales? What's going to happen? Hopefully this is four weeks and done. And then it keeps extending. And so um, a lot of time to work on products, you know, but hoping mm -hmm. that sales are going to continue happening during that time. And so it was, it was definitely slow and scary. And, um, but I would say the last uh, four weeks have been really good at some of the best oh, good. months that we've ever had. And, and some of that I attribute to pent up demand, right? People sure. out can go, but you know, nobody wants to go get on a plane. Even the family that historically would buy plane tickets for all six of their family members and fly to wherever they're going to go. They're like, yeah, we're not going to do that now. Um, let's, we're going to save a ton of money by driving and we can mm -hmm. still buy a pack mule. And now we have something that stays with us forever instead of, you know, some airfare. And really our encouragement is like, we want people to go take a road trip because you miss so many cool things when you fly. There's a lot of times yeah. when flying makes sense, but you drive some of those back roads and go through the towns. And if you can slow it down a little bit and take it in, it's tremendous. The history and what that, what that does to cultivate your mind and your, understanding of the world and people and how everything is connected and you don't yeah. get on a plane, you know, you, it's, it's a, it's like herding cattle when you're run through an airport and on an airplane. Yeah. 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 When you, when you fly on a plane, it's all about the destination. It's not about the trip. When you, when you go on a, on a road trip, 
it's like two trips in one, right? You still have your destination that you're going to, but you have the road trip, which is an adventure in and of itself. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I love about Pack Mule is that it's not just, you know, this product right now. I know you have other things besides just the, the, the initial carrier. You've got mule straps and you've got other, other, other products, but it's, it's turned into this real lifestyle brand. You have amazing photography, amazing videography, these places that you're going and these things that you're seeing are so incredible. So, so talk a little bit about that. How are you? I mean, do you have like a, a hired photographer that follows you around all the time? How are you getting these incredible shots? Um, and how are you, what's your plan for leveraging this into more than just, not saying that just a, a cargo carrier is a bad thing, but um, into a lifestyle brand? How are you managing that? Well, um, you know, I took a photography class in high school. And of course, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. So I'm an expert now that I've done both of those things. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in reality, I've always liked photography. I've enjoyed art. Um, you know, I like writing and I've got some goals with writing that I want to do that are difficult. But, um, you know, the majority of the photography is myself. I've got a good camera and some good lenses and um, I use tripod and shutter triggers and that kind of thing. And so in a lot of cases, it's me just doing my thing and, uh, and setting out the camera on a tripod and getting some good shots or, you know, parking the vehicle in some place. I'm like, this is incredible. And taking some pictures. We also have a, you know, a handful of, uh, like great photographers and stuff that have reached out and said, Hey, we could really use a pack mule. Um, you know, what kind of opportunities are there? And I said, Hey, I would love your photography. I'd like mm -hmm. the vehicle you've got and you're in a completely different, um, landscape and, and geography than where I'm at. And so it gives us some variety. I'd love to work something out. And so we've got some, some photographers that are just incredible and in our social posts, they're all tagged and mentioned. And so everybody sure. should them out and appreciate what they do too. Um, cause they're very talented, much more talented than I am. And so, um, so that's the, that's the photography piece. We recently, um, started working with, uh, a video, um, group that, helped us with a bunch of new videos. You know, if you look at some of our older videos, you can tell that we were budget, right? It was like, and some of them are still up there. I mean, um, it was me filming some installation videos with a GoPro on my head. Uh, mm -hmm. I definitely did, uh, very candidly, if you look at some of our old mule strap videos, um, I have an iPhone, maybe a seven, uh, one of the largest in my shirt pocket filming. And I'm trying to hold the mule strap and do the, do the video, uh, with the phone in my pocket. And then, and then I realized, uh, you know, a month or so after we posted it that I had been hunting and, and I hope this is fine with the audience, but I still had, I'd been hunting. And so I had harvested an animal that I had, had cleaned and butchered. And I still had some blood in my, like in the veins of my fingernails. And I'm like, Oh man. So, so there, there's nothing about that's, what that's on brand. That's I mean, right. <laughs> and that's the thing is like, we're not doing anything that is not who we are, right? We're, right, we're, right. This is our lifestyle. We're not trying to, we're not like a VC company that's trying to portray something by, you know, buying a bunch of guys that do this. We, that's, that's our lifestyle. And that's how we develop these products is stuff that's easy, but is super robust and, you know, lasts forever and, and makes your life easier. And, um, and so, but this video group did a great job. So I realized, Hey, look, we really need some good videos. We need, 
people have a lot of questions. How do we help them understand that? And so uh, some of the recent videos, the original, the Swayback intro, the Ridgeline intro, um, some of the mule strap intro videos have been great. Um, we're going to do a video that'll be all about manufacturing because, you know, one thing that we, it's really hard, like you can get so noisy in your message. How many things do you try to hit out? But it's important, and I want people to know these things, but, you know, 75% of every pack mule is made from recycled aluminum. And so, um, or 75% of the content is recycled in another way to say it. And so, you know, we melt down scrap aluminum. It all gets mixed with the silicas and the different ores and alloys that need to happen. It is poured into a billet. And then we extrude all of those shapes um, to make everything that, that we need because we use a solid block of aluminum into the hitch. So that's its own custom uh, extrusion die and then it all gets bent and cut and then hand tig welded together and then you have to stick it in an oven and temper the whole thing and so um I, you know when you look back at my you know we talk about college and like sort of <laughs> you study these things but do you really focus on them and so my wildlife biology absolutely i love conservation and that's that is a huge part and when we launched pack mule is like i'm not going to do this just to sell a product how do we how do we make the world better? And one was like, let's manufacture in the U.S. because I want jobs here and I want to provide, you know, like the U.S. manages uh, EPA and safety and all of these things that are important. And people that import from China, they don't think about that. It's kind of out of sight, out of mind. If the workers are barefoot or, you know, they're not in um, a real safe environment, you know, I, I don't necessarily see that. My product shows up and I don't pay very much for it and I can sell it to consumers. And coming from the construction world, to me, safety was hugely important. And so it was, sure. I want everybody that builds a pack meal to go home the way that they came. I want them to be able to enjoy their family and to leave on the weekend and go do something that's fun and exciting. To be able to pick up their kids and hold them and see them and kiss them and have hands that still do that. And uh, it devastate me and my family to know that anybody got hurt doing something. And so that was really important. And then, you know, we don't, people say, hey, you should, when you, we ship it, we ship it in a box that comes fully assembled. Right. And so, mm -hmm. so, well, you should put it in some plastic or you should put some styrofoam packaging in there. And I'm like, look, this thing's structural and it's going to get used. And while it is a lot of money to me, it's not worth putting it in a, in a huge plastic bag. That's just there for a short period of time that then gets thrown in the garbage and ends up in the ocean. And it's not worth me to put styrofoam in there either. Like the product shows up and occasionally we have a customer that the box has gotten ripped up or whatever, but we had one, a couple of weeks ago, it went to Colorado and somehow through shipping, the box got all torn up. And I told the customer, I'm very sorry, of course. Um, how can we make this right? Is the pack mill okay? He's like, oh, pack mill is perfect. Doesn't even have a scratch on it. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, like the abuse that it must have gone through to look like that when it showed up, while it's not as exciting for a customer to receive it that way, to know that that box is recycled and there's no plastic, there's no styrofoam. And those are things that we don't do a good enough job sharing that information. Those are things that are just cultural beliefs that we have about how to do business and how to provide products to customers. And, um, and so we, we believe it's the right way to do it. Yeah. And I think that that's so as, as a business and obviously I'm, I'm in advertising. And so it, it, your message is so important and there are so many different messages. And so yeah. it's, it's balancing how to get those messages out. Obviously, you know, you're a lifestyle brand. So you want to talk about, you know, what, 
the pack mule can help you accomplish, right? So it's aspirational. You want to talk about the actual product. So it's sales. You want to talk about your core values so that people can buy into your brand. So there's all these different things and it's, it's a, there, there's a formula to it and there's a way to, to figure out, you know, what's the, what's the right balance to talk about that. Um, but you talk about not, not, you know, using styrofoam or not using plastic or anything. There's no better way to sell your brand philosophy than a ripped up box, but a pristine pack mule yeah. arriving in someone's house. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think part of that is the, is the kind of rugged charm that comes with a brand like pack mule. So I think that that's, that's pretty interesting. Thank you. Um, so you asked about style and future yeah. stuff and I didn't really touch yeah, on that. Yeah. You know, we're constantly developing new products and we're getting ready to release uh, some clamp on rod holders. We just released the Hitchin Post recently, which yeah, makes it easy for the pack mule. You know, you just hang it on the wall out of the way. And um, and so uh, we're also working on, you know, the slide in camper customer is a huge customer because when they put a camper in their pickup bed, they have no space for anything else, firewood or coolers or anything. And so uh, we have a lot of customers um that are in that in that world and so we're working on some modular platforms that'll fit in we're working on a light kit that'll give you a turn signal brake light but not something that looks like it was an afterthought something that's super mm -hmm. integrated and looks wonderful and is thought out and easy to replace the components um and then uh some other stuff that you know all kind of fits within like how do you haul certain gear that we don't want to talk about right now but we're we're working on pretty hard and trying to get it right because you know if it's wrong it's not right <laughs> so right yeah absolutely. it has to make sense and um and i'm ocd about stuff working right and just again back to it has to make your life easier and if it doesn't it's a waste of time and a waste of money yeah so looking into the future speaking of future products and stuff do you have you know obviously I, when i when i think of pac i think a lot of yeti and so you know yeti has a a, a a Yeti coolers are very expensive. They are not cheap, uh, right. but they work well, right? So, so Yeti obviously is doing very well and has now has retail stores and all that. Is that do you have like, like in the future? Do you have visions and aspirations of opening up retail stores? What's your kind of not end goal, but what's a future goal for for Pack Mule? Um, you know, we're going to watch and see how how that works for brands. There have been a lot of brands that are um, uh, well, I would, I was going to say that are direct to consumer only, but that's not correct because, you know, Haller brothers has opened one Yeti's opened their own brand stores. A lot of brands are just doing it, whether they're direct to consumer or have their own retail. <laughs> so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. Go play. <laughs> I'm, I'm on a call. Okay. I'll see you in a minute. Okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. um, Ray, you should absolutely keep that in. <laughs> um, Kansas, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. No problem. Um, and so I, I'm really curious about that. I think it's a great way for people to come get totally immersed in your brand. Um, I, I'm just going to keep an eye on that. That's a huge cost investment, um, sure. big employee investment. And so we're super lean. Everything that we do, I mean, I've managed. I managed the, my last business through a recession, and um, you know, we had to we had to close down a business unit. We had to let a bunch of people go, and that was painful, you know. And I realized ways to 
manage a business and run it that you don't have to get over your skis. And what I don't want to do is get over my, go over the front of my skis. And so, um, so I'm going to watch that, I think, but, um, you know, initially, uh, we started off direct to consumer, but really wanted to be in some select, uh, retail outlets. And our goal with that is like, we want to be in the, in the go-to shop that in each area of the country, right? Like where's the cool place that people from a sporting goods perspective go to, to get their hunting, fishing, camping gear, um, hiking gear, those types of places. Um, and those might be two different places. You know, there might be like REI would be ideal. Um, but the customer service piece of it is very important to us also because we want somebody to come in and get all the answers and to feel supported and, and, um, and sort of carried through that decision process because it's $795, right? It's not, it's not an easy bite. And so, um, you know, in the RV world, we want to be in the right RV shops. Uh, we want to be in the right accessory and hitch shops. You know, we've got a, we've got a, a hitch and truck accessory shop in Houston called master hitch. And those guys just do such an incredible job. I mean, when a customer comes in, they, they take such great care of them. Um, you know, and they've got other hitch carriers and they'll tell you they sell more pack mules and we're, you know, two and a half times more expensive than the next most expensive, maybe three times more. And they sell more pack mules than anything else because people come in and they go, oh, wow, it's so much lighter weight. Uh, it doesn't wobble. And then, oh, I have easy access to everything. You mean once I right. put this on the back, not only can I haul more space because that's the whole reason you put one of these on the back. Right. So why not make it as big as possible? But the the always the limitation is once you put stuff on the back, you now can't get to anything else without unloading it. Right. And it was such a hassle. It's like, why use that? Well, everybody went to the roof because of that reason. And so um, it's, it's a no brainer. And when you look at it and it's hard online just to, to see a picture and go, Oh yeah, that makes sense. It's 800 bucks. People see it in person and they go, yep, makes sense. I get it. It, you should, we have people all the time. Oh, it's only, when they see it in person at a trade show. Oh, it's only seven ninety five, right. which, That'll surprise a lot of people. And a lot of people, you know, listening in might say, oh, BS on that. But it's it's really true. And we have it's incredible the amount of machinists and welders that we have as customers because they see how much time it takes to and how many welds we have on this thing and the ingenuity and the all the design thought that's gone into it. And they're like, I mean, in materials, it's gonna cost me almost as much as what you're selling it for and shipping it to my house. And but it's gonna take me you know, five or six hours to figure it out and fab something up like this. So yeah, I'm just going to buy yours. You know, it's a kind of a no brainer. Um, yeah. um, I think that's, I don't know. Yeah. Got, yeah that's great. Mine lost uh, right there. For a second. Not sure what I was. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's totally fine. At least your kids didn't walk in in the middle of you talking. Um, so you were a finalist for the SEMA Launchpad 2018 competition. What was that yeah. like? How'd you get involved in that competition? Talk through that a little bit. Yeah, that was a fun time. And it was a challenging time because even during that period, I was uh, selling jobs for another business. I think I'd flown to Denver to pitch a job. And then I flew to Vegas from there after pitching a job to go work on my SEMA, like, you know, final, the semifinalist pitch. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you're taking days off of work to go in and do SEMA and do the launch pad final exhibit. So it was crazy, but it was all super exciting. You got lights and you're in Vegas and, you know, it's all this and you're in SEMA and SEMA. Everybody knows what SEMA is, right? It's like car, truck, 
off-road mecca in, in yeah. a show, which I had never been to personally because it's supposed to be a dealer-only show. Uh, you know, dealer and exhibitor is just unreal. The craftsmen that are out there building some incredible stuff. And so to be, you know, a finalist and to, and to stand out as an under 40 uh, person with a, with a new product that's kind of changing the landscape of gear hauling was a tremendous uh, uh, amount of gratitude on my part. And um, yeah. so, so thankful to the whole group at SEMA that, that ran that and put it on and for everybody that voted for us to get there and, and then, um, so it was an application at first, you know, you were one of a hundred and something brands. I think we were 120 that applied and then, and then you go to semifinals and then it becomes the public that votes on it. And then the public voted us into top, I think we were top 10 was the semi, you know, or the finalists. And so then yeah. you're picked on stage to, you know, um, the owner of the former owner of Foral Parts Wholesalers who owns, uh, Trans-American, uh, uh, distributors. And then, uh, we pitched to, um, the CEO and founder, uh, I'm, I'm maybe going to mess this up. I should have, I should have thought about this before, but, um, and I didn't, but, uh, like for comp cams, um, and just these huge automotive guys, uh, that have come from where we're at right now and have grown these brands into these household names, building tremendous products that people race and off-road and count on for abusing like crazy. And so to get pitch on stage was, uh, was incredible and definitely unnerving. You know, I think I was, sure. I was not the last, I don't think, but I was, I might've been way down on the list. And so I'm just backstage listening, trying not to listen to everybody else, just headphones in, practicing what you're going to say on stage because you have a couple minutes and yeah. profusely just like, oh, my gosh, I'm about to get on stage in front of this huge audience. And I'm relatively comfortable in front of an audience. But knowing this is like about my company and potentially my future was was heavy. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, sure. And so it was great. And the whole SEMA team did a great job. And, and Matt Bean and it built right, uh, came out on top for that pitch. And he had a lot of business uh, uh, pieces put in on his pitch about how he's going to scale and what he's going to do. And mine, I didn't focus on that really at all on mine. Mine was more about who we are and why people need this and why it's a, a great option. And I think the business aspect really uh, helped yeah. him. And he's got an incredible product and a brand that he's constantly growing and adding new stuff. And we stay in touch still. And so uh, my hat's off still to, to Matt for his win on that. Um, but it gave us definitely some recognition we didn't have before. And the SEMA show has been great. And even this last year exhibiting at SEMA uh, in the fall, we took our old 1980 uh, Jeep out mm -hmm. as a vehicle because everybody builds these huge rigs. And we don't have that budget, number one. And I already own this vehicle. And so, uh, and it's cool because it's an original 1980 CJ5 teal blue color. Uh, yeah. And get, you know, people love it. And and I love it also. And so I thought, well, I'm going to take this old vehicle. I'm not, it's original. So the only obvious thing that's different on it will be this hitch carrier, this pack mule coming out of the back of the hitch because mm -hmm. it's new and different. And so, um, JP Magazine came and did a write-up on it. We got a bunch of press with that. And everybody was kind of walking around like, where's this cool original Jeep that we've seen? And uh, so that was a big time and it was super exciting. And and you definitely learn a lot through those through those processes and pitching your brand in person. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so if you could go back to, to young Kansas, as he's coming up with the idea for the original pack mule, before the ideas of going full-time pack mule and just, I just need a carrier that works for me. Mm -hmm. 
what what advice what would you tell him um you know that's tough i mean there's there's so many things that i feel like we did right uh i watched a lot of brands scale really fast and and really try to just blow up quickly and i had um somebody who manages a, a brand in austin tell me just take it slow don't worry about rushing and I watched all these businesses that were in crazy debt, just, you know, they were, they were constantly losing money every year, but they were growing and they were these huge brands and, and you could look in the news and find all of them. And I, just from a business perspective, I thought, how is that, how does that even make sense? Like you've got to make money, right? Like, am I doing something wrong? I didn't go to business school and I have an MBA and I'm not a Harvard grad or anything. So I don't, I'm not the smartest guy in the room by any means. But I feel like a business has to make money. And how do these brands sustain everything? And suddenly in the last six months, you watch all of them not collapsing, but going back to the basics of business. We're, we're eliminating all of this extra anything that's costing money. We're cutting out certain brands out of our, out of our portfolio because we have to make money because that's sustainable. So right. little things that I questioned myself all along the way. But just in my gut and my knowledge of how a business should run, it was like, no, you can't do that. And no, we're not going to, you know, we, you know, we're not going to go as much as I want to own my own fab shop and do all that stuff. No, I'm not going to go put debt down on a fab shop and then worry about if the guy is showing up to weld and that quality. I need to focus on growing the brand and the other thing, but partner with somebody that thinks about manufacturing the same way that I do, because they're going to do it so much better than I am. And that's, Having a shop is just a personal. I just I like welding and tinkering and doing all that stuff. That's just a personal thing. But from a business perspective, that didn't make sense. And so, um, you know, just listen, listen to reason and listen to your gut. Um, don't. I, I guess it would be a confidence thing, like have confidence in yourself and and doing things the way that you know are the right way to do it, and. And it's okay to second guess yourself because that's the only way you have a good perspective. I read lots sure. of business books. I read lots of things to make sure that I, I called people and asked questions. Um, so I, I think that would be it. Just have confidence in yourself. Continue to surround yourself with good people um, and, and do it the way you believe is the right way. Because in the end, if you're not confident in what you're doing, if you don't really believe it, nobody else is going to believe it either. And you're going to have... An inferior product and the amount of people that told me you just need to go build this in china or or nobody's going to pay 800 dollars for a hitch carrier and the amount of folks that when we're running ads that respond i mean i had a friend tell me the other day like oh my gosh the comments on this thing just make me like cringe these guys like who are these people and uh, and everybody has their opinion right you can't let those opinions either sway what you're doing but you also can't get defensive about them you know and so i try to respond when people have a legit question. Hey, this is why it costs more. It's hard to see that just by looking at an ad, but this is why. Um, and hey, there's 60 other units like this on the market. If you like it, I'm not trying to sway you. I don't want you to go buy mine just to buy it if you don't need it. Right. If you don't need right. it, don't buy it. I'm just trying to let people know that that we're out there. There is a better way if you need it. And if and it's pack meal, right? We're here to support you and do what do what we can to help make your adventures uh, 
easier, you know? Yeah. And I would even think, you know, for that, for that customer who, who that potential customer who looks at a pack mule and says, this is too expensive and goes with someone else and buys a cheaper one who then would potentially come back when that cheaper one doesn't function the way that they want it to, then that's just, that's even more so brand loyalty. So while that $800 sticker shock, you know, might, might be a deterrent at first to some people, I think it, I, I just think it builds brand loyalty. And I think sure. it's a, it's a smart move to, it's a bold move for sure to go out for, with a product that's, that's almost a grand, but um, yeah. I think it's a smart move too. I think it builds um, brand loyalty. For sure. Well, I'll tell you, um, when I, you know, I paid my way through college working, you know, three and four jobs at a time. And, um, and so when I would try to go, when somebody went like my first duck hunt, you know, I went and bought some Hodgman's and they were fine waiters, but they didn't really fit. I didn't know what I was doing. They weren't breathable. And so while it was freezing cold, by the time we mucked across the marsh, I was then sweating. And now I'm even colder because all that water, all that water is now freezing on my body. Uh, you know, I, I would, I would just constantly buy stuff that wasn't, it wasn't, and this is the wrong way to say it, but for me, it wasn't the best, right? Like the mm-hmm. reason clothing costs so much is because they've really put in all the thought and the design and the best materials they can. And even my wife finally was like, Kansas, just stop and save up for whatever it is that you want and get the right one. Cause exactly what you said, I would buy the cheaper version. I would be right. miserable. And then I would eventually buy the better version and like it. And what I realized was this. I was taking time off of work. I was taking time away from family. I was spending money on traveling, whatever else, to go see and do this thing, whatever it was. Whatever it was a hiking trip and I had bad boots or duck hunting for the first time and my waders you know, were making me miserable or whatever it was. And, um, and then in the moment, I was so miserable, mm-hmm. whether I was freezing or my feet hurt, or, or whatever it was that I couldn't enjoy the experience or the people that I was with. All I could think yeah. about was I want to be done hiking. I want to be, you know, on that duck hunt, I want to be in a hot shower and drinking some hot coffee right now. Um, and that's, that was a, a light bulb for me, right? It was like when we're doing pack mule, everything needs to be so good and so intuitive that you never think, um, this, this is terrible. I want it to be so intuitive and easy to use that people are just in and out of their gear that they're, they almost forget the pack mills there, but they're like, man, I was just going to say that. Yeah. I think, I think that's what's so great about pack mule and, and good products. They're so good. You don't remember like not, you don't remember them, but you don't know they're there. Yeah. Right. So you, you've got this not non-pack mule carrier that carries a ton of stuff. Maybe it doesn't wobble. Maybe it's not heavy. All of these things, it was inexpensive, but then you have to, you're taking time away, unloading your car when you get there so you can get access to things. Whereas pack mule, you set everything up and then it's gone. And yeah. then it's, it's all about the adventure. And so I think, you know, products that, that, that make an impact in the initial purchase and then, take a step back and let the adventure or let whatever the task is take the spotlight. Those yeah. are the products that work well and do well, because right. then at that point, it's not about, you're not selling a product you're selling. You truly are selling an adventure and a lifestyle. And so I think that that's yeah. what, what makes it work so well. It's interesting too, on the price, um, you know, people go, man, it's 800 bucks for a hitch carrier. They should only cost 150 or less. And that's just because that's what the market has only ever provided was a cheap product. But right. 
okay, let's say you're going to put a roof rack on your deal and, a, and some way to haul gear up there. You know, you're going to spend 500 bucks on feet and rails and you're going to spend just on the plastic storage boxes that they put up on the roof. Those are 500 bucks, you know? Yeah. If you want to ship it to you, you got to pay the freight shipping, which we include in our price. And that's another $180 for most of those brands. And so at the end of the day, you're over a thousand dollars for some rails and a storage box and it won't hold a cooler, you know, like you still are going to have your dog and your cooler in the back, but maybe you've got luggage up top and, and we did the roof box system. And what I found was I've got one foot on my door and one foot on a seat and I'm trying to like get stuff on the roof of my SUV and it was dangerous. And I thought I'm going to fall mm-hmm. and I'm going to, I'm going to bust my head on the concrete or I'm going to break something. I'm going to roll an ankle right. and then my trip's over and then back to square one with this idea of, it's about the experience and, and the people and not like, well, now I'm in the hospital with a, with a broken ankle. Cause I, cause right. I felt unloaded my, my box on my roof. Right. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, okay. Before we wrap up, I've got just a few, um, I didn't send you these questions cause I didn't want you to think of an answer. I just want your like top of mind answer right away. It's five questions, Houston based questions. Um, obviously this podcast is called Houston rally. So Houston is a big, focus of this. So just first thought that comes to mind. Um, what is your favorite restaurant in Houston? Who, um, man, that's hard. Uh, there are so many great restaurants in Houston. You know, my, my favorite restaurant for a long time was passing provisions and they closed recently. And I, I loved going there, um, and sitting at the bar and, you know, happy hour or getting some food with my uh, wife, you know, on, on date nights and what have you. Um, you know, I, I've, I've hit revival market all the time. Their breakfast and their lunch yeah. just kills it. And um, they do such a great job there. Um, and so that, you know, when I think about a restaurant, normally I'm thinking about dinner, uh, like where right. do I want, where do I want to go to dinner? And honestly, I don't really enjoy going to dinner with my whole family because it's we there's four kids, you right? And so it's just this chaotic moment. Yeah. Right. Who does? It's, yes. Yeah. I want to go to lunch with somebody or like, hey babe, uh, let's go have lunch together and it'll be quiet and it'll just be you and me and let's go to revival. And uh and Cultivare does an incredible job too, uh, there in yeah. the high as well. Awesome. Uh yeah, we um we have three-year-old twins and we just had a baby a month ago and so and obviously the world's been shut down but we went to dinner the other day in a patio um, at Escalante's and while it was fantastic being out and having someone else cook for us and the food was great and the margaritas were great we were like what well, we could be at home not disturbing other people yeah. not having our kids run around screaming and not trying to constantly tell them to be quiet <laughs> and enjoying our meal <laughs> right. so anyway, yes I yeah. I very much enjoy going to, I love my family, but just the wife or just, I think that's, that's great. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite live music venue in Houston? Uh, you know, uh, going to, um, Mucky Duck for, it has oh. always been so fun because I enjoy being intimate with somebody that's playing music. I like, I like being close and seeing their facial expression and seeing their hands on a guitar or keyboard. And that whole experience has been great. You can sit at a table and you can eat dinner and enjoy music. And you really feel like you're hanging out in the living room with those. And so I would say, I would say mucky duck for sure. Nice. Uh, What's your favorite touristy thing to do in Houston? 
Like if someone who is not from Houston comes to visit and they're like, I want the Houston experience, what would you take them to go do? Man, if it's the fifth season of Houston, which is rodeo, 100% it's rodeo. Okay. That's a good, that's a good answer. Uh, what's your favorite uh, Houston sports team? Um, I mean, I'm a huge Astros fan. Absolutely. Okay, and then the last question, out of the following Houston relics that no longer exist, which would you bring back and why? And I'll give you a, a list of some. Astroworld, Astrodome, Magic Island, and Marvin Zindler. <laughs> well, Marvin Zindler was entertaining oh. for sure. And Fitzgerald's. Fitzgerald's was, I mean, I would say Fitzgerald's for sure. Yeah. If that's yeah. I, I, did, I do love the dome, and I – you know, you don't, the experience in the dome is, is as a kid, right? There's certain things that you hold to. And while the venue itself in comparison to NRG is maybe not as keen, the, anything that you did as a kid, you always seem to like better than what happens in the future. No, yes. So I always hold the dome as like, it was such a great spot. Um, and I hope that something is done that, makes it usable. You know, I wish, I wish we could figure out some code stuff that look, it's a historic thing. Let's, let's have some events there. Well, I don't, I don't know what it is. I haven't, there's a lot smarter people out there trying to figure that out. Um, sure. So I would say Fitzgerald's, but definitely the dome is a close yeah. second, but I'm a huge live music fan. So um, Fitzgerald's would be there. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Kansas, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much for being on this podcast today. Hopefully it was fun for you. I loved it. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we, we enjoyed it. Uh, my name is Mark Pereira. This is the Houston Rallies podcast. Um, be sure to um, listen on uh, or subscribe, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which obviously if you're listening, you already know that. Um, you can find us at HoustonRallies.com where we are telling the stories of small businesses um, who are just killing it uh, in Houston. And um, we'll, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Are you a local small business owner looking for some help connecting with potential customers? Is there a specific topic you'd love to hear more about? Visit our website at HoustonRallies.com and click Join the Movement. Fill out the form. We'd love to hear from you. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. And remember, we are strong. We are resilient. We are Houston.